Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Thank you for joining us on Community Focus this morning. I am so excited to welcome two people who are so much a part of our community. First off, we have Jennifer O'Flannery Anderson, President and CEO of the Community Foundation of Broward. Their mantra, be bold. I love that. And also joining us, Vice Chair of the Board of the Community Foundation, and she has a number of other titles, which we'll get to in just a bit. Juliet Rolak, thank you for being with us, both of you. Oh, nice to be with you, Ellen. Jennifer, let me start with you. You know, you have been in the nonprofit world for many, many years. We met way back when you were working with another organization. And what I'm curious about, we work with both nonprofits and foundations. What is the difference between the two? There's several different types of foundations. There's public foundations and private foundations. Private foundations are usually established by a family or a company to support that family or company's giving. A community foundation is a public foundation, so our role is to provide leadership, inspire collaboration, and to really help connect people and organizations and nonprofits together. So we raise money through significant estate gifts and large gifts from individuals, companies, and foundations to really provide leadership on key issues and then to provide grant making to nonprofits and other organizations to support that leadership and that initiative. So uh, a private foundation must grant out uh, 5% of the earnings on their assets. We don't have to subscribe to that, but we do manage an endowment currently of about $300 million, and we grant out each year about $13 million, and we grant those funds directly to nonprofits right here in Broward County to support what we identify through our collaborations as some of the most critical issues and needs in the community. Now, how do you determine what those needs are, and then how do you narrow down from the hundreds of nonprofits to the ones that are serving the specific needs that you've determined are key? So that's where our staff, our board leadership, and our involvement with other organizations and institutions comes into play. So we through many meetings, through research, through discernment and deliberation, try to filter down what areas we can really affect change. How can we support other initiatives across the community? And how can we use the funds that are trusted to us and that we ask others to contribute to, to be impactful. We do this through, I would say the best part is through our strategic planning process. And we just finished that. We conducted focus groups and we listened to about 100 different people share their perspectives. And that's helped us identify some key areas for funding and for narrowing our focus. So we have to listen to others, we have to do research, and we have to provide our own staff and volunteer leadership. Okay, so Juliet, as vice chair of the board, what is your position in going through this process, bringing in people to have that focus group with and connecting these organizations to, again, narrow it down to the top ones? And what are the key areas? 
Thank you for asking. So there are several key areas that we're focusing on, but really at this time we understand that there's so many people who don't understand the function and beauty of a foundation. So we're really looking at philanthropy in a different way and and trying to educate the public on what's available. You know, there's the opportunity to really contribute at any and all levels to so many different things. We have volunteers that we need. So really, public education, which is a lot of what you do, uh, is a very key for us going forward. We also very much listen to our community and our current donors and what their interests are. That's part of the equation. And keep our eyes and ears open so we know uh, we watch the local news and issues that are coming up to us. And of course, our nonprofits are a great resource to us to really share with us what they are seeing with their clients and customers. So those are collectively the way that we really get feedback on the current issues and our ability to then focus on those issues. Another way is we also see a lot of grant requests coming in, and that often is an indicator of what the most pressing needs are. And there are lots of grant requests. Yeah, I've got to imagine that the content of the requests has changed a bit over the last two years because of the pandemic. Yes, very astute, thoughtful. And a lot of that, in fact, I really commend the foundation. And the word pivot comes to mind. I know it's been used a lot since the pandemic, but we really saw the foundation do that and really trying to support nonprofits through that time of difficulty with funding that they would not normally have the ability to get. So that was really a wonderful example of how the foundation can really meet the needs at the time and have the flexibility and the fiscal responsibility to be able to do that. You know, one tangible thing we did is over the past year and going into this next year, we're doing a whole series of workshops for nonprofits on resilience and recovery. So they go through a whole series of trainings about how to be prepared and adapt for the next disaster that might come to us, and then we provide grants for them to implement that plan. So whether they need to buy technology, build out a special room, hire a special staff person, we help fund that so that they can really make long-term improvements to the organization to be better prepared to adapt. Yeah, that's great. I spoke to so many different nonprofits over the last couple of years who have been struggling terribly. Working with nonprofits about resilience and recovery is fantastic. But, you know, when things are not in crisis mode. One of the things that you focus on that's become really key everywhere is on diversity and race. Yes. How, how? Tell me about your work with that. Well, that has really become key. So in our new strategic plan, our grant-making focus is in six areas, education and youth enrichment, social and economic mobility, health and thriving families, art and culture, racial equity, diversity, and inclusion, and building a strong nonprofit community. So for us, racial equity, diversity, and inclusion really touches all those areas. How do we help educate the business community about the value and importance of embedding racial equity, diversity, and inclusion in their business practices? How do we help nonprofits reach all the communities across Broward County? How do we help 
small nonprofits that are embedded in communities of color be prepared to service and expand and meet the needs of their community and be able to go after large grants or partner with other organizations? How do we as a leading nonprofit in this community set a standard in our own operation? And how do we inspire our donors to consider giving to organizations that may be outside their area of comfort or outside of the areas that they usually grant to? So for us, racial equity, diversity, and inclusion touches all of those elements. How does someone reach out to you if they want a grant? Is it best to go through your website? Should they call you? And what are some of the important pieces of information they need for requesting a grant? So right now, that's a great question because we have a grant request out for organizations that are in the arts, and we're asking for grant proposals that connect racial equity, social justice, diversity, and inclusion with the arts. So they can go on bsbroward.org and they can get information on the grant and the application process. We also have a grant out for organizations who are working with the LGBTQ community and who are going to be especially focusing on black and brown communities related to LGBTQ. So those are two grants that are out right now. And later in the spring, we'll be doing a special grant for small nonprofits that serve communities of color and that need help maybe getting a little more sophisticated. They may need some help and support putting the grant proposal together. So this will be a very grassroots small, uh, the place where you start and learn how this grant-making process works. Okay. That's a few examples. That's a great thing, because you hear all the time, I'm a a grant writer. Well, what is that? Oh, I ask for money. (laughs) I get us money. And, you know, I know it's much more than just asking, and they have to prove their worth and their fiscal responsibility, much as you were talking about, um, Juliet, about the fiscal responsibility. And I have to say, with a $300 million pie that you sit on, who do you have to answer to in managing that money? Well, we answer to the board and we answer to our fund holders and we answer to the community. You know, that's something that came out of our strategic plan the basic question, who is our customer? And our customer is Broward County. Our job is to serve and lift up and be here for the uh, life of this community. So, you know, we are here to answer to all of those. The Board of Trustees is the most direct, who really take a personal and professional responsibility to ensure that that asset is growing and serving this community. I want to jump in here because, first of all, when I hear Jennifer speak about the foundation and all that it does and who it's responsible to, it just really warms my heart. And, you know, being on the board and being vice chair, uh, she's absolutely right. It's our fiduciary duty and responsibility as a board to assure that the foundation is fiscally responsible and prudent. And year over year, they continue to show that. You know, the, the lovely thing about having endowments that are going to last fairly much through eternity to serve Broward is what is so unique and wonderful about the foundation. And they have really um, reached a point of making magic to assure that these funding will be there in continuity. I have to say the staff there is, you know, particularly good. We have members of the board who are strong in the area of accounting and finance. And all of these serve to assure that there's a safeguard that these funds are being managed well and being used well. 
So, you know, can't say enough about that. I would just like to give a plug to Juliet and SPNL. They have made a gift to the Community Foundation to support our work in racial equity, social justice, diversity, and inclusion. And so that grant will go towards supporting those small nonprofit communities. It'll go towards helping educate our business leaders, giving them additional training opportunities, and to support our own improvement in embracing this important topic for our operation of our organization. And that was what I was going to ask Juliet about. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of, as I say, both of you have been honorees at the Girl Scouts of Southeast Florida's Lead the Way Luncheon, so I've had the pleasure of introducing you both to different audiences. And Juliet, you know, we've spoken numerous times over the year because working with FPL, there's a whole range of subjects of concern to South Florida. But as the regional director for external affairs, making those kinds of grants is one of the things that comes under your purview. Um, You were so generous with Boys and Girls Clubs of Broward County when we did the fundraiser last year. And there again, how do you decide which are the organizations that you'll make grants to? Thank you for that question. Yeah, first of all, Nextera and FPL both really are committed to giving back, supporting uh, our community where we work and live. And so it becomes so important, again, to be in the community, to see the organizations that are making impact, that are really serving the community well. And so in serving on some of these boards, you really get an internal view, and that many of our external affairs teams are very much integrated in boards throughout our territory. So we get an inside view and and understand what they're doing. But we also see many organizations that make requests. And we ask. We ask questions to see whether they are, in fact, using these funds and stewarding the funds that we give them in a responsible way. And what are the outcomes? So that is, in large part, what we do. But Going back to this particular grant that we made to the foundation, you know, I obviously became aware of the work that was being done in race equity and knew that it was a fairly new focused initiative. It had generally been managed across the different issues that we looked at, but now that it was a specific focus, knew that there should be a beginning of support for that. And by that, I mean financial. So you earlier asked, how do we make grant requests to the foundation? Mm -hmm. I would also say for FPL to be an example of how we can make donations to the foundation, because both are equally important, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, there are so many opportunities, and particularly, again, with this fairly newer initiative of race equity, of supporting a fund that will make a difference in our community. Okay. What call to action would you like, both from individuals and then separately from businesses? And how can they best help you? And how can they seek the aid that you offer through the Community Foundation? I think the call to action, first of all, is for everybody who lives in South Florida to think about how they can be a philanthropist in a small or large way. I think, as I said earlier, one of the lessons from COVID that we all take away is we all have a responsibility to take care of one another. And part of that is really supporting the nonprofits that provide a tremendous amount of care. 
So that's one of my call to action every day is for all of us to think about what ways we can give and support our community. For philanthropists on a larger scale, to think about the community foundation as a partner for them. How can we help elevate their giving? How could we incorporate their giving into greater community-wide strategies that we're a part of so that we can have some really long-term, large-scale impact of philanthropy? Really, when you look at great communities, especially across the United States, you know that private giving is a big part of elevating a community's quality of life. And we already live in an amazing, beautiful, dynamic place. And so thinking about over time how we can use philanthropy to add touches that really make our community bright and beautiful is what really inspires me every day. So think about the Community Foundation. How can we help with strategy? How can we help with grant making? How can we help put several organizations together to do a larger grant, that would be very exciting. Okay. I know that you have to uh, an appointment because the philanthropy world goes 24-7. <laughs> um, so I'm going to let you go, Jennifer. Thank you. I'll keep on with Juliet for a moment. Thank you, Ellen. Oh, I will Lovely be in to touch. Be with you. It always is, yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Juliet, were there other things that you wanted to cover so one of the things I wanted to share was, um, if I were to say a call to action, would be to have business, you know, corporations think about their giving and grow it in a different way. We typically don't give to foundations and give to several nonprofits, but that's another way to really stretch your impact and give to a foundation that you can trust will be a good steward of the funds and make bigger impact. So it's just a different way of giving that I would just um, challenge many companies to start thinking about as an additional or alternative option. Now, this series of workshops that you are doing for nonprofits to help them with resilience and recovery, um, and also focusing on racial equity, diversity, and inclusion, how can someone become part of these educational aspects that you provide? So we are currently in the process of getting those set up and scheduled and hope to be launching that next year. So uh, the best way is to definitely keep pace with our website. All of that information on for the foundation and the programming will be available on the website when they do launch and start. Okay, and that'll be cfbroward.org. When you do get ready to launch, we'll talk about it again at that time so we can get down to the details. Um, if I am correct, this is your first weekend without hurricane season for this year? That would be correct. <laughs> uh, I have to tell you, on Tuesday, November 30th, there was uh, almost a shouting celebration throughout the company. It <laughs> was made it the, through another yeah, year. <laughs> formally the end. Uh, but, you know, as we always say, it is part of what we do. Serving through storms is so important for us, and we were ready to do it, but blessed for all of us, our entire community, that we did not have to deal with that. Yes, fingers crossed. It'll be a long time. But even when we don't have a storm during a season, I know FPL is constantly upgrading the electrical grid and always working to take the company to new levels and seek, <laughs> now I sound like Star Trek, <laughs> um, <laughs> seek new forms of energy and help keep costs low for our residents. So you are just one busy lady. 
You know, I I would be remiss if I didn't respond to that because I appreciate, first of all, um, you're saying that about the company. And one of the pilot projects that we are contemplating and will execute in the next couple of years is uh, generating electricity from hydrogen. And the idea of that is that that would ultimately result in carbon-free, 100% carbon-free electricity. Wow. So the only kind of generation that's not renewable energy that will be 100% carbon-free, we are so excited about that process. Yeah, that's congratulations, and thank you for thinking ahead. I know that you always have to be looking forward years beyond what most of us are considering to try and predict where things will go, especially with the development of new technology. So thank you for always being on top of things. And again, you know, I've mentioned how many different organizations that you personally are a part of. It's always a new experience to talk to you because you have so much invested in the community from your heart and from a personal level that you always bring something new. And I thank you for that as well. A nod again to Jennifer O'Flannery Anderson, head of cfbroward.org, the Community Foundation of Broward, and Juliet Rulak, representing the Community Foundation. We've spoken to you about Stand for Parkland. Yes. And Girl Scouts of Southeast Florida and FPL, of course, with your position there as the Regional Director for External Affairs. So on behalf of all your organizations, thank you for that. And I really appreciate your time today. Absolutely. And Ellen, uh, you do God's work in really sharing with the community all things that are happening in the community. And for that, I always thank you and I'm grateful. I am completely touched by your words. Thanks again, Juliet Rulak and Jennifer O'Flannery Anderson from the Community Foundation of Broward. The website, again, whether you are looking to support them or seeking support from them, cfbroward.org. Joining us now on Community Focus, I'm happy to welcome Soraja Rivera Moya, the Executive Director of Ronald McDonald House Charities of South Florida. Soraja, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Ellen. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I can't believe it's been over a year since we talked last year in the midst of COVID when things were kind of at their worst. We spoke about how Ronald McDonald House Charities had really taken a hit, as so many other charities, nonprofits, and profitable businesses had, too, because of the shutdowns. Are things better at this point than they were a year ago? Well, I have to say that they are. You know, when you and I spoke last year, we were, like you said, in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, we had a very limited amount of guests, pretty much, of our family staying at the Ronald McDonald House. But, you know, right now, we're, I would say we're at 75% capacity, which is great. Yeah. Um, the families are coming back, you know, to the hospital for their child's treatment. So we're doing, you know, we continue with cautious, with uh, disinfecting and wearing masks and all that. And, you know, we're doing the best. Uh, We're getting there. We're getting there. And things are much, much better. How has the uh, vaccine impacted things? Because I know with children who are going through extreme treatments for life-threatening illnesses, can they get the vaccine at the same time as they're undergoing something like chemotherapy? 
Well, that's something that, you know, that is determined by the family if they allow the child to receive that. But we leave that up to the hospital for them to determine that. And as you know, this just started recently with the younger kids. Right. So I'm assuming, you know, a lot of the parents are, you know, doing their due diligence and making some sort of research on it. But I think it's important, you know, this is a global situation. So, I mean, again, we leave that up to the parents to make that decision. Okay. And let's just remind the audience exactly how Ronald McDonald's House Charities helps families and children who are facing extreme illnesses. So the Ronald McDonald House provides a very essential service. We provide lodging and meals and a place for the parents and the families to stay while their child is receiving ongoing treatment at um, any South Florida pediatric hospital. But in this case, we're located on the grounds of Jackson Memorial Hospital in downtown Miami. So once families checked in here that they're coming from far away, there's a couple of requirements for a family to stay at the Ronald McDonald House, and those are, first, the child needs to be 21 years old or younger, or we also accept moms with high-risk pregnancies. They need to receive ongoing treatment or active medical treatment, and then they need to live at least 20 miles away from our radius. Let's just say that we have a family from Homestead, and of course, each family scenario is totally different, and they might not have transportation, so they might be able to be referred here by the social workers and the case managers. And the families receive their private room, they have a bathroom, and then they share the common areas such as kitchen, laundry facilities, family room, children activities, and also we have a nice patio area where we have some beautiful trees so families can recharge their energy, you know, from the hospital daily routine. Yeah, getting outside into nature, especially at this time of the year when it's so beautiful out, really can make a difference for, and and also for a recovery for a child when they have that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there a maximum amount of time that a family can stay with you? So we go, again, case by case. Usually families stay an average of 30 days, and if those need to be extended, it could be done. And again, they need to be confirmed by the social worker or the case manager. But I've had families here that have stayed for like one, two, three years, I would say, is the max. Because okay. they're coming from really, really far away. But again, as long as the child's receiving active medical treatment, and of course, some kids are able to be dismissed from the hospital and checked out, then their families are able to go back to their home. Okay. But usually it's around third days. And obviously, it takes money and funding to lodge people, to feed people, and take care of children, again, with life-threatening illnesses being treated at Jackson Memorial. So once again this year, you're repeating a fundraiser you did for the first time last year, which was the Ronald McDonald House Roundup. Tell us how that's going. We're in the final week of it, so we really want to get a big push. How does it work? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're very grateful to our corporate partner, McDonald's. As you know, they raise funds for Ronald McDonald House charities. And we're doing this program again, which is a roundup program. And it's very simple. What we are asking is for anybody that goes to McDonald's through the drive-thru or even in the lobby and they're purchasing whatever it is that they like, their favorite meal or just a snack, they can say to the crew or the crew might ask the customer to round off to the next dollar. So if you buy something that is $5.98, tell them to round off to the next dollar, which will be $6 and those two cents are going directly to benefit our families here at the Ronald McDonald House. And, you know, that helps us to 
keep our doors open and provide all the supplies that these families need while they're staying here. And again, it's very simple. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, people are going there anyway. (laughs) You know, I do that myself when I'm asked to round up for any charity. Some of them, you know, places now do it when you order on an app and they give you the opportunity to add the extra. And it just seems so simple. You know, it's under a dollar that you're being asked to give. And almost all of us can swing that, particularly with the affordability of a McDonald's meal. Now, this is specifically running just through the 12th of this month. How much more are you looking to raise? So last year, the goal was to raise a million dollars through the customers and uh, McDonald's crew and everybody that did all this joint effort. They raised $1.2 million. Wow. (laughs) And then this year... We want to go to raise $2 million, and I think we're going to make it. I think we are. We're so blessed, and at the same time, we're fortunate that we count with good people that want to support. One of the really cool things that our local McDonald's restaurants are doing is a little competition between Mm -hmm. restaurants. Tell us about that with certain peak hours. Yeah, so pretty much from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., there's called the drive-thru challenge, and they're pretty much collecting information how much sales are done throughout that time. And then the top restaurants will be recognized. The manager and the crew will be recognized by McDonald's, and they're also being recognized by us. So we encourage for anybody to go from 11 to 2, you know, grab something for lunch, and then try to make um, that donation, whether it's a roundup or also there's a suggested donation of a dollar, $3, $5, which will go over to the total average amount collected for that goal. Wonderful. And, you know, just consider if you had a child in the hospital at this time of year, particularly, I mean, anytime nobody wants a child in the hospital ever. But when you think about having to be in the hospital during the holidays and, Mm -hmm. you know, being uprooted from where you live, you know, we've been through so much change and trauma really over the last 18 months. And to have something like this on top of that is extremely difficult. So we ask people to, you know, put on your empathy cap and think about what you would feel if you were in that situation and how much you would appreciate any support from complete strangers. And, you know, isn't that where the best giving comes in some ways when a complete stranger helps? Exactly. It's such a great feeling. I have to add to that. Now, let me ask you this. After December 12th, this is like the main part of the challenge, but does the Roundup opportunity continue through the year? Yes, that's all year long. We have that available at McDonald's and anybody can continue doing that. So there's that option. They can donate coins and pennies. As you know, when you go to the drive-thru in the lobby, there's also the donation boxes. So any spare change you might have and want to donate it, you can do that. And that's all year long. So again, it's great. And if someone just wants to know a little more about Ronald McDonald House, what's the website? Let me start with that. Sure. Our website is www. R-M-H-C, SouthFlorida.org. And anybody that wants to visit, find more information on how to get involved, other ways to help. We have so many things going on. And at the same time, hopefully, soon we're going to open our doors to bring back some volunteers and assist in so many ways. That was going to be my next question. Already (laughs) answered. Okay. R-M-H-C, SouthFlorida.org. Find out all of the good works that Ronald McDonald House South Florida is doing and ways that you can support in addition to driving through McDonald's. Remember those peak hours 
hours between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. for our friendly competition between our local McDonald's restaurants. Roundup for Ronald McDonald's House. Soraya Rivera Moya, Executive Director of Ronald McDonald's House Charities of South Florida. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And I'm glad we're able to help out with this initiative. Oh, thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. And I want to wish everybody a very happy holiday season. And you know we wish the same to you and to everyone who is in your stewardship now, all of the children and families who are receiving assistance from Ronald McDonald's House Charities. And thank you for listening to Community Focus. Where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. Please join me again next Sunday, same time. We'll take on new issues right here on Community Focus. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.